Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from Down Under. We're here today to discuss the 2-1 defeat to Bournemouth in the Premier League. Fulham going down in a tale of two halves where we came out blisteringly in the first and rather limp in the second. Here to discuss it with me, we have Elton. How are we going? Hey, Jack. Here to have the chat we have to have. Yeah, it does feel like that. And uh, as we sort of said before we started recording, it really feels eerily similar to how we felt after the Man United game where we came out and played such a good first half in for the Man U game, obviously, first 70-odd minutes, but then just a, a completely limp performance in the second. Um, how did you feel going into this game, sort of looking at the table and seeing us sitting in ninth, Bournemouth sitting in 19th, I think, at the start of the day? Um, surely we were expecting to to win this and, and for the game to be a little easier than it turned out to be. We I do remember talking about, uh, what was it, 9th versus 19th and looking at Bournemouth's games in the last five, six games prior. Look, they have had some interesting results and they have um, had some pretty amazing results actually against Liverpool and Arsenal. But they were inconsistent. And there obviously were some concerns about how we would bounce back after Man United. Mm. But to be fair, that for the first 20, 30 minutes, that didn't seem to be an issue. We seemed to have managed that because there, there didn't seem to be any hangover at all. Mm. We were passing the ball around really quite beautifully. We had plenty of time. They weren't pressing us too hard. It looked like an exhibition game to me. And it looked like, it almost looked like some of those uh, almost cheeky moments in the championship where we were head and shoulders above other teams. And, you know, are we going to get three, four or six today? Yeah. And, um, and and you know, the goal was great. and but But then everything changed. Mm. Well, it it really did feel, um, you know, like like I said, a tale of two halves where um, it, everything just seemed to be going right. And I, I sent you a message, I think maybe 20 minutes in, it could have been just after the first goal that we scored, um, just saying this is fun. Like, And especially, you know what it's like after an international break where you just miss watching Fulham. I know internationals are on, but it's just not the same. Um and then you come back, and when your team plays like that, you just go, "Geez, I, I've missed this." It, it like is really good comparison, actually, talking about how we played in the championship. It really did feel like that, where you know, occasionally we were almost toying with them a little bit. We we held possession so so well. Um, we passed the ball around really crisply. Never really looked like giving the ball away. There were a few instances where Bournemouth came forward, and I think we looked a little bit shaky. We we're probably lucky not to concede in the first half. But really, we did feel, you know, fairly in control throughout most of the game. Um, let's let's actually just talk about the goal itself and what a beautifully worked ball it was. Um, sorry, what, what a beautifully worked goal it was. Um, but we'll talk about, you know, um, how, how it came about. And in doing so, talk about the lineup. We saw Vinicius come in and Deckard over Reed come in, sort of as expected for Mitro and Willian. Um, Dad, were you, were you thinking there were going to be anything any sort of different changes to the lineup or did that feel like it was pretty much set in stone as soon as those suspensions happened it's actually uh, a really interesting salient point 
that I think our best 11 is so obvious mm. that it's actually a problem that we don't have the options that a top half team in the Premier League should have. And I think the very fact that we are able to pretty much pick a team um, most weeks pretty well mm. um, sort of illustrates the problem we have. Yeah, I, I think that's it's a really good point. And, you know, it's something that it's it develops as well over time. Like we can't expect to come into the Premier League and have a Premier League, well, a high-end Premier League level squad from the off. Um, to do that, you spend a hundred million, maybe two hundred million, uh, and even then, you might not have all the options available. It does take time, and I think we we will actually see us build that over time. But you're right; we are probably a little bit predictable. Um, and the fact of the matter is, we we can't make a huge number of tactical changes because of that. Um, we saw Silver attempt to do that when he played Deckard over Reed up front um, when Mitro was out injured previously. Uh, it just doesn't really work. And we, we we basically have a system and we kind of have to stick to it. And that is something that's going to become a bit of an issue for the rest of the season here, expecting. Obviously, we, we're currently expecting and waiting for the news on Mitrovic's suspension, but let's assume that he's missing a, a major chunk of the rest of the season. We're, we're quite one-dimensional in a way. Um, we don't really have many other options. And... Unfortunately, that's going to going to impact us really negatively for the rest of the season because um, teams have you know had time to work us out now, and so you can see Bournemouth went in at half time um, and were able to basically have a conversation about what we were doing, and we weren't able to change the way we played um, and and play out of play out of you know what ended up being a two one loss. Um, but look, look, let's talk about the goal itself and. The fact Vinicius came in, and I have to say it was really, really good work from Vinicius playing that ball through uh, in the first place down the wing to Solomon to set up that goal. Why don't you just talk us through the goal itself? Hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think um, this is not the first time we've commented on Vinicius being part of, you know, a, a mm. really very, very good um, build-up to a goal. He, he, he didn't get the assist, obviously, but I, I actually think his ball was the quality that opened them up. He was a yeah, it was, perfect. He was the catalyst. Perfect yeah. ball. Really, really good ball. Um, and it's isn't it interesting that, um, you know, um, I've, I do feel sorry for the guy, uh, Vinicius here. He's, his problem is that he's always compared to Mitro. You know, if he, yeah. if he wasn't trying to um, be a Mitro stand-in, we might feel very differently about him. But Mitro is a very effective machine. And mm. this whole squad and the way we play is tuned to Alexander Mitrovic. But back to the goal, look, uh, really good ball in, uh, which um, plays Solomon in, is that right? Yeah, so uh, Solomon down the wing, who then squares it into Reed, yeah. who takes, takes uh, a touch palms it off yeah so you did it um <laughs> and what what was actually so good about that is if you look at the the keeper is literally stationary because the the the, the move from uh vinicius to solomon 
to read is not exactly blisteringly quick, but the layoff from Reed to Pereira happens very quickly and the goalkeeper doesn't even move. And I, I was mm. a bit surprised at how stationary he was until you saw the reverse angle and to see how quickly, and I think he was possibly, uh, I think um, Pereira is possibly fractionally obscured uh, by one mm. of the defenders. Uh, but he actually put it in a good position as well, um, you know, to the right of the keeper. And the keeper's just stationary, didn't even didn't even see it. And, uh, you know, it, it was just, it looked like a goal of a really high-quality team. Yeah, it was, you know, kind of reminiscent of the goals that you remember seeing Arsenal scoring in around the golden era where the ball is just zipping around. It's one-two touch. Players know where each other are. Like Vinicius didn't look up for Solomon, but Solomon was there. Solomon didn't look up, but played it straight to the feet of Reed. Reed knew that Pereira was outside him. It all just moved super smoothly, and and really well done from Pereira, who's been under a bit of pressure recently as well. He hasn't been playing, you know, to the ability we saw him at the very start of the season, where he was easily one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. I'd say at the start of the year, uh, in terms of the performances he was putting in. Um, but he, he's definitely gone off the boil recently, but it was really good to see him score in this game because I think that's the kind of thing that gives a guy like that a boost. And, you know, he's going to be looked to as a bit of a leader for the rest of the season as well. With Mitro out, he's, you know, one of the most experienced players up at the top of the field now. So um, we do look to Pereira a little bit more to to create. It's good to see him actually scoring goals as well. And, you know, you see players blazing in in those situations and trying to, you know, put their foot through the ball and just absolutely welly it into the top corner. It was great to see him really carefully place that. Um, and like you said, the keeper was was stationary. He couldn't move because he got completely wrong-footed because it's a really good finish from Pereira. He doesn't try and curl it beautifully into that far post. He realises that if he side-foots it uh, back across the keeper the keeper's basically got no chance. It was a really, really good finish and just a beautifully worked goal. And, you know, that was the moment watching the game. I thought, this this is this is fun. One interesting thing there, Jack, is that uh, Vinicius's ball is, is a really high-quality ball. He sees the opening really well. Solomon does really well to actually play it to, to Reed's feet. And, and Reed does... His contribution is probably the least skillful, but actually probably the one with the best vision because um, Pereira is actually outside of his his eye line completely, mm. but he knows he's there. He absolutely knows he's there. Just a little layoff, perfectly into his path. He runs straight onto it, sots it away. So, you know, a really, really good team goal. Well, you say it's the least skillful. I actually think... The ball from Solomon is good to find him, but it's zipped into him, and he does really mm. well to control it mm. and not have mm. the ball fly out from under his feet, reposition his body to lay it off nicely for Pereira. And, he, you know, it's the ball's not bobbling. It's perfectly laid across the surface, makes life really easy for Pereira. All Pereira has to do is finish it from, I think he was around, sort of around the penalty spot at that point. Um uh, you know, a, a beautiful goal. And that's what we saw from Fulham early in the season as well. And it sort of felt like, you know, we weren't going to be um, brought down by everything that happened in that in that FA Cup game. And um, it felt positive. 
And that's all I think we really wanted to see was a really positive performance to make sure that the season wasn't going to fizzle out. But second half, Bournemouth came out of the blocks and, and fair play to Bournemouth. They they really turned it around because they were, they were pretty poor in the first half. Like I said, they did create a few chances here and there. We were probably lucky that we didn't concede. A couple of really good defensive efforts and... I'd say Bournemouth should have been doing better, putting some balls away. They did seem to find themselves one-on-one or, or, you know, two-on-two with our defenders quite often breaking the line. So there was obviously a little bit of miscommunication there, which is kind of strange considering that is our, you know, rock-solid back five, back seven almost, if you include Polina and Reed. Was it a little bit worrying to see how a team sitting in 19th in the league sort of broke us down quite a few times? Absolutely, and I, I, you know, their 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 final quality was poor when they got themselves into very good areas to to get past us, and I I I actually meant to watch it again to really try and understand what was going on because I I feel like it needed another look, and I uh, full disclosure didn't get around to it, <laughs> but. It, it it did worry me. There were a couple of concerns there that I'm thinking, you know, we're playing so well and yet from time to time they're actually opening us up. What, what mm. on earth is going on here? And I have heard some mention about, um, I, and I think, not well, to single a couple of people out, I think Robinson f- wasn't actually having a great game defensively. I think we've heard that a few times before as well. He he certainly was carrying the ball forward well. And when he when he actually is called to defend in wide areas, he doesn't seem to have the same problems. One-on-one in wide areas, he doesn't seem to have the same problems as he does, um, you know, in, in our six-yard box, for example, when it's really mm. tight, uh, which obviously, you know, is a – segue to, to something we'll talk about a little bit later on. But, um, I, yeah, I think I, I'm trying to work out whether Kenny Tete was having a problem um, before they um, they made some changes. I don't think he was, but there were just a couple of moments that where we just seemed to be caught off guard. I'm not sure if it was because, you know, the wingers – were pushing forward and then had to get back very quickly and we were caught out of position or whether it was something going wrong in the communication with the centre-backs. I, I I don't know. Mm. Yeah, uh, it, it, it was a little worrying and I'd say we were fortunate that we were playing a team who were struggling this season in Bournemouth. Uh, you know, if you give those... I mean, we saw it. When you give those opportunities to a team like Arsenal, they tear you to shreds. And oh, we were yeah. we were fortunate that we didn't have that. You know, Solanke is, is a good striker, but he's not going to tear you to shreds and, and make you really pay. You look at, you know, the, the top six teams will, will absolutely destroy you if that happens again. So we do have to be a little bit wary of that. And I think, you know, it may be that the foot's been taken off the gas a little bit because of what's happened and because of the where we stand currently in the league at the moment where there's a big divide between us and the bottom half. And so maybe just yeah, not I'm, as alert as we've previously been. I'm, I'm really struggling. That's the cliched, obvious thing that we were going to come and do after Man United with everything that's happened, plus a gap of the international break. You'd think 
there'd be some problem in our preparation and we just wouldn't come out. We, we came out incredibly positively, not defending that well, mm. but it was really positive. And, I, and you'd think that if there was going to be some sort of head, head issue, that we wouldn't be playing the kind of creative football um, like we looked like we were having fun. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it can't be. I, you know, obviously everyone's saying, oh, we're on the beach. It, it can't be. I don't believe that to be true. There's something else that was going on there, and I can't put my finger on it. Well, I, I also think, and we sort of touched on it a little bit last time we talked, um, it's, it is tough playing these teams who are in a relegation dogfight. You know, they go in at halftime, 1-0 down. They look at the live live league table and see a couple of teams above them getting results, and all of a sudden there's a four-point gap to get out of the relegation zone. Um, that fires you up like nothing else. You know, managers giving you a spray, you're looking at basically losing traction in a relegation dogfight where you do look at a game like Fulham and say, this is a game that we can win. Um, and, yeah, I think that's probably where we lost it. And I think we, we've got to be a little bit careful in the in the next few games. On paper, it looks like we've got a really good run. But coming up against teams like this, we've now seen how hungry they can be, especially when they're put on the back foot. Um, there's so much more on the line for a team like Bournemouth in a game like this, especially 1-0 down at half-time, and, and we've been stung by it. And I think we we need to be wary moving forward, and hopefully we learn the lessons from this game. Um, but, you know, that's that's all down to the manager, to the coaching staff. I'm sure words will be had 100% with, with the team about this result. Um, because it is it is disappointing. We should be winning games like this, and and unfortunately but, we 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 didn't. But we we you know <laughs> we don't get paid much money to do this, Jack. And you know managers get paid a fortune to know and predict exactly how teams at the bottom half of the table, if there's any fight in them at all, hmm. are going to react. So there there could have been no surprise. So why did this happen? And you know why? Why weren't we predict at every moment in the game when they changed the way they came at us? Why didn't we predict it and react to it? It's yeah, got to be course. a question asked there. I like how you said we uh, we don't get paid much to do this when we don't get paid anything to do this. Um, <laughs> but uh, look, I, I think the biggest thing is is just now understanding what it's going to be like to play a lot of these other teams in the bottom half. And we should be going into these games a, a little bit more wary because it, it is fighting wounded animals. And it, it, we're not There's miles a naivety out of the top There's a bit of a naivety there, though, isn't there? I mean, you know, if, if you know, that's so Craven are talking about it, um, previewing the game, surely it's a very hot topic in terms of preparation for, for a match like this. So why, at all times throughout the game, aren't people reminding their teammates about it on the field, the manager before the game at halftime? And I'm, I'm 100% certain um, that Silva must have mentioned it in the halftime talk, but we didn't react to it. So what's going on? And again, I'd say that's, that's down to the fact we're on a pretty poor run of form if we take a step back and look at recent results. That's our fourth 
fourth straight loss, I think. Um, and, you know, in those games, we, we dominated Man United. We lost. We lost a, a, a derby game to Brentford. We've lost to a team in 19th. Like, it's 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 a bit of a funk we're in at the moment, and we do need to lift ourselves out of it pretty sharpish because, like I said, we're, we're sitting on 30, 39 points currently. If you look down the table, um, we're not miles out of it. Um, if we don't pick up points in the next four or five games, it doesn't take long for us to actually be potentially dragged deeper into the mid-table. Um, so we do need to be a little bit wary of it, and we do need to start picking up points. Um, I think there's a lot hanging over our heads at the moment that just needs to be cleared up, and when that does get cleared up, there's a bit more clarity for the rest of the season. For example... Very strange seeing Marco Silva in the dugout, considering he got a red card. Um, what's that all about? We still don't know what's happening with with Mitro. Um, you know, we we I'm currently checking live, um, making sure that news doesn't break while we're podcasting, which I I fully expect it could do. Um, but it, it's one of those things where, like you said, there there does seem to be something hanging over our heads at the moment. Um, the obvious thing would be what happened in the Man United game, but um, it, it feels like we just need to get out of a funk because you've lost four in a row. You don't want to lose five, six, seven in a row, so, which can so very been, quickly and easily happen. We've been talking about this lack of squad depth and that that's an issue and there's tiredness and weariness and physical tiredness is bringing mental tiredness and that's why we're switching off. I'm not buying it. We just had two weeks off. We've had... Very few people, really, percentage-wise, of our, our squad have gone and played international football. Mm-hmm. Four, five of them. Um, I'm not. I'm not buying that this team is physically exhausted. They're not. They're no, not. I, d- I don't think uh, it's an exhaustion we, thing. We, not, we, not we played a half at Man United, incredibly high intensity, and you know I think that's a real peculiar game where something, you know, so mad happened at the 72nd minute. That and we weren't playing badly up until that point. That you you almost have to throw the rest of the game away, and you, you can't even analyze it. But mm. you know that was our change in for in in form or momentum. But the problem has been not so much that we played all entirely awfully over the last three weeks, is that we can't get a result and we're not being consistent, and then we're falling away. And what's that about? It can't be fatigue. It can't, it's not physical fatigue, which has bled into mental fatigue. So there's something else. It could be the Mitro Silver hangover. Um, that doesn't explain why we came out so sprightly in the first half. Yeah, we, but, we looked but like I, we were playing. We looked like we were playing without a care in the world. Like we but were. I think fun. there's more to it because it, doing it for half a game is is not enough. And and you can do it for half a game, but it's then how you respond to being under pressure. And we were under pressure in the yeah, second that, half. That, 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 that's and the, we didn't handle it. it. So even if you come out in the first half and it's all roses and everything's going well, it doesn't matter if you can't do it for a full 90 minutes because a game of football is 90 minutes long. We didn't play a full game of football. Is, is there a theme here that we aren't even thinking about that, that that's exactly what's happening, that when... Um, you know, when, when teams respond, we're not actually 
having a reaction, a positive reaction, and we're actually going, we're, we're, we're getting too easily broken down by a team coming at us. Is that, is that I, what's I going wrong? I just think, firstly, we don't handle huge amounts of pressure very well. When we get pressed hard, we struggle. We definitely don't. Um, we definitely don't. And, and teams sometimes work that out, and that's when we, we haven't got good results, thinking Brighton, for example, Wolves, second half of this game. Um, mm -hmm. We really struggle when we're under pressure. I, I think it, it's hard to put your finger exactly what it is that's, that's the problem at the moment, but I, I reckon it's actually a split of physical and mental fatigue. I think we, we do have a, a shallow squad. Um, and so coming into the last now eight games, nine games of the season, um, the, the legs will start to be tired and there's a mental fatigue there of we've fought really hard all season. We've been in a position where we could be chasing European football. That's just slipped through our fingers now. That's disappointing. What happens in the Man United game is then disappointing and it's just having a knock-on effect. And I think those two things combined are, are what are, sort of making us struggle a little bit at the moment. And um, it's, a, it's a worry, but I don't think it's something we can't get ourselves out of. I think we just need that one catalyst, and we've been saying that now for, I think, five weeks. And the Man United game looked like it was going to be it, and then it wasn't. This game looked like it was going to be that little moment, and then it wasn't. And I, I'm just waiting for us to have that moment. And I think we, we're getting close. I just hope we don't drop our heads too much after a result like this where we we should have won and we let it slip and you know we had further chances in the game as well and we weren't able to convert them um let, let's let's talk about the Bournemouth goals though because um we'll talk about the Tavernier score um Tavernier's goal first um and what a great finish that was you have to take your hat off um to to the player there because um you know that's what we've been seeing from Solomon recently those kind of finishes um, takes a ball from a corner, corner of the penalty area, um, finds himself in a bit of space, left-footed, top corner. Any complaints there? Could Fulham have done better? Yeah. I, look, it was a really beautiful strike and um, no, no goalkeeper saving that. And Leno's actually seen it. He's moved, he's dived, and he hasn't really even got any got close to it. Um and I, I don't want to be dumping on Harrison Reed because I thought he actually had a pretty good game and I thought he had a pretty consistent game. But when I think about it, uh, he actually had a lot of time. He had a ton yeah. of time to set that up. And it feels like someone, and I think it was Reed, should have been much closer to him much quicker because the ball's parried out. And I, and I look... I, when, when the ball comes in, I don't think Leno could have done that much better. He, 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 I don't think he could have caught the ball. It would have been mm. pretty dangerous to try to. And he's knocked it into a, a reasonable area. He hasn't knocked it straight back out into the 18-yard box. He has knocked it <laughs> wide, but it falls free, and there's no one there to clean it up, not surprisingly. Yeah. And so they, they're onto it pretty or, or Tavernier's onto it very quickly. And we don't close him down. He has a lot mm. of time. I'm not taking anything away from a really beautiful goal. Anyone in the world would love to score that at any level of football, let alone at the Premier League. Um, but I you know, if you want to be brutally tough about it, he could have done we we could have done better there. Uh, I have to agree. I think he is an obvious target. Um 
he's left in a lot of space on the edge of the box there. Uh, it's pretty obvious what he's going to shape to do. I think we should have done better and closed him down. I don't want to get on top of any player because I don't think... Uh, it's obviously some player's fault because he would have been assigned to Mark Tavernier at that point. But I, I think we could have closed him down and potentially shut that off a little bit easier. And uh, I, I do actually think that, you know, Bournemouth came out in those first five minutes. They They had a couple of chances before they scored that goal. And I think we were mentally rattled a little bit. And that's why we probably didn't close him down. I think we were chucking bodies in the box and getting people inside that six-yard box just to defend the goal more than anything. And so it's kind of what happens when you're under pressure. You just make that little mistake. Don't pick up the man. Uh, he gets space. And, and it is a great finish. So can't take that away from, from uh, Tavernier there. But the second goal, uh, let's have a chat about that because it, it was kind of mind-boggling how we conceded that. Um, again, a few other chances before this goal goes in, but um, I can't remember who had the initial shot. Leno sort of spills the ball. I think he should probably do a little bit better there. Um, the ball bounces out around a couple of yards out from goal. Uh, Robinson gets to the ball first, but for some reason doesn't really do anything. And then Solanke gets a knee in or a shin or something and basically works the ball into the back of the net off Robinson. Bournemouth go 2-1 up uh, with 11 minutes to go, and with a team like that who know how to time waste and do it very well, uh, you're always going to struggle to get back in the game. Dad, just walk me through what you thought when that goal went in because I, I was kind of stunned. I it felt like it was coming, but not like that. Is there a, is there a team in the Premier League or any professional football league that don't know how to time waste very effectively. It's True. just a, an annoying feature of the game. But um, I'm going I'm to circle right back to what we talked about earlier as, as being a massive threat in this game and all the games going forward is that these guys have got something to play for. And, and that Solanke goal was a case of him wanting it more than about four or five other players around him. Absolute yep. desire. And you can't, it was all a bit messy, but, you know, it, it, uh, tough saying Leno could have done better. Obviously, if he catches the ball and holds the ball, obviously none of this would have ever occurred. But mm. um, from my memory, it was fired at him fairly close range. Chances of actually catching it cleanly there, pretty low. He's, it was a reasonable save. And... Um, yeah, he just Robinson. You know, could he have done better? He could have done a lot better. He could have done mm. so much better. It's really poor defending. Really, really poor defending. Um, I, I do get the fact that he's got he's facing the goal. He's obviously the ball. The, the ball and the momentum is going forward. He's moving towards the goal. He's thinking, if I put a foot to this, I could score an own goal here. Um, but still, you've got to do something. You've got to be making an effort. Just swing a foot at it. Hook it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I quite easily in my mind just hark back to moments where I've seen blokes like Dennis Adoy, Tete, bicycle kicking the ball out of danger when it's close to the line. Tim Ream putting his body on the line constantly to keep the ball out of the net um, when you on sort of around those goal line clearances. And it just felt like Robinson didn't quite do enough. 
I feel um, like when so the ball is think... a couple of yards out, you have to be doing everything. You can't wait for it to bounce and then try and clear there, it. Because... There was there was actually some indecision, which I think was part yeah. of the problem. If you watch 100%. it again, he, there's indecision. He's not sure what to do next. He's got it's uh, entirely the problem. His... Is indecision yeah. entirely the problem? Yeah. That's um, that's and... not not mind on. His mind's not on uh, yeah. because he's got he's under pressure, and Solanke's at him at him. And he's mm -hmm. thinking, what do I do now? What do I do now? And next moment, Slanky's kind of bundled over the line. I think it has yeah. come off Robinson. It, it um, has. I initially thought it was a Robinson own goal, but um, they, they made quite a point of effectively awarding it on the spot to Solanke because he, he did. I mean, it's one of those where, you know, the ball is deflected in off Robinson. The shot from Solanke is he gets the initial touch, which goes on to Robinson, but his initial touch is on target. So I guess it is a goal. Mm -hmm. To Solanke, but oh, it, he deserves know. he deserves the goal. He deserves because he, he does. He, he does. created it. He created it out of kind of out of nothing. Mm. You know, and and so look, I, I probably should um, backpedal a little bit on my tweet post game. I did say that Leno had a stinker. It, he didn't have a stinker. It was um, heat of the moment kind of kind of tweeting, unfortunately. But um, it, it and you know, I think we can also. Uh, allow we could easily allow five stinkers from Leno and and say you've broken even for the season. Um, it, it just felt right, a little disappointing. Say, you know what I'd say? Tweet responsibly. Yeah, very true. <laughs> uh, it it just felt like uh, it wasn't Leno's fault, but it felt like because it was such a schmozzle, for want of a better word, where Leno's lying on the floor, Robinson's a meter away from him, letting the ball seemed like he wanted to let it bounce a couple of times before doing anything. And it just felt like we conceded a soft goal there. I think it was a soft goal. I think we should have done better, but you know, all fairness to, to Bournemouth, they, they played really well in that second half. They dominated us and they were the better team. Um, and I think if we'd walked away with a point from that game, we would have been pretty thankful for it. Um, because I, I don't think we played, we, we played well enough to take all three. I think we had a really good first half, but second half, Bournemouth dominated. And even in that first half, I think Bournemouth could have scored one, maybe even two goals. And, and we wouldn't have had much to complain about because we, we gave them the opportunities. Yeah. Um, let's have a quick look at the stats from the game. Um, an interesting one, and I'll, I'll pull up a point here as well. Possession stats for the whole game, Fulham had 58%. Bournemouth with just 42%. Um, an interesting stat which um, got messaged through to us in the first 10 minutes of the second half, where Bournemouth had 81% and Fulham only had 19%. Um, it just shows how they came out of the blocks at the start of the second half and just dominated us, and that's where their goal effectively came from. Um, Is that Josh's uh, little text here? Josh's text to the to the family chat accidentally. Um <laughs> But a, a fair point and a good shout-out for Josh there as well. Um, but, look, 10 shots for Fulham to Bournemouth 12. Only two Fulham shots on target, one of which was a goal. Bournemouth had seven shots on target. Um, four corners to Bournemouth, three to Fulham. Bournemouth 15 fouls for the one yellow card. Fulham 13 fouls for the four yellow cards. Again, crazy. don't know how we're picking up so many yellow cards when the other team are committing more fouls than us, but... Um, it, it I, feels... I think there's, there's, a, there's that's sloppy as well. I thought it was pretty ill-disciplined, 
Um, you yeah. know, there there were a lot of fouls committed by Bournemouth, but I, I thought there was a there was some lack of discipline in the second half. There, I think there were. Yeah, four, yeah, definitely. There, I think there were. F- yeah, may, maybe. I can't remember exactly how many of those fouls, what the split between the first and second half is. I remember keeping a tally of it in my head and thinking, what are we doing here? This is just frustration. And that's a lack and of It was. And, and that, that happens quite often, I think, we've seen with this Fulham team so far. Um, it, it did seem like there were a couple of not opportunities, a couple instances where uh, Bournemouth player, I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it was one of the midfielders for Bournemouth. He came in quite early doors, probably in the first 10, 15 minutes with a couple of really heavy challenges. And I thought, I cannot believe he's not picked up a card here. He got subbed off fairly early in the second half as well because I think the manager could sort of see he's losing his head a little bit and going a little too hard a few times. Um, But look, again, I I don't think we can blame. The ref didn't have a bad game at all. It's just interesting to see how Fulham are picking up so many yellow cards in these games. And I, I think... It's something that probably needs to be addressed next season. I think there's a way to be um, aggressive without picking up yellow cards. It's aggressive in the way you the you, the way you play and the way you attack a game, but you don't actually have to attack opposition players in that way. And I think we're probably getting it mixed up and saying, you know, we don't want to be a pushover, but at the same time, you, we shouldn't be going in and, and fouling constantly and getting these yellow cards. That's it's well, worrying. there's a naivety. It's a naivety to it because you, 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 you're trying to implement a strategy or a tactic, whichever way you want to look at it, of being aggressive and not a pushover, mm-hmm. but just boiling over and over-egging over it and yeah. ending up in a foul and not reading it very well and not reading the room very well and just kind of pissing the ref off. And we, we uh, it's, actually, I think I think we've we've tended to do that, haven't we? We've actually tended to actually get on the wrong side of the ref. Quite a, quite apart from the Kavanaugh situation, we have done that quite a bit this season. And I saw a lot of instances where it felt like we almost hadn't learned our lesson. We were, you know, arms stretched wide, running at the referee, shouting at him when he was making uh, making his decisions. And you know, I expect most of the decisions were were fair decisions from watching. Um, it, it just felt like we're not quite learning our lessons. And it, it will need to be... endemic. It, it will need endemic. to be addressed next season, realistically, because if you look at it this year, we, we lost our best player for the whole season. Um, sorry, when I say for the whole season, our, our best player this season for three games, and we lost all of those games, or at least didn't pick up points in all of those games. And... We, we do need to address it because we can't let that happen next season. Um, yeah, totally. You know, we, we, we're fortunate this year that we've had really great results and we're sitting fairly pretty at the moment. But if you're in a relegation dogfight uh, and in a, in a place like Bournemouth are in, imagine losing your best player, uh, kind of like the position we're in now. If we were in a dogfight right now without Mitro and potentially without Polina as well, I'd be looking at it and going, we're, we're likely to be going down. So we we do need to be a little bit wary that, you know, next season may not be as rosy as this season. And so that does need to be addressed going forward, I think, um, pretty, pretty, maybe a better, pretty soon as well. Maybe a better way to look at it really is that th- this Fulham, Fulham team is, without being harsh, is a bit of a rough diamond. You know, incredibly successful, turned it around amazingly, got really great results, happy with where we are. But 
if you really stand back and look at some of the faux pas, they've been quite costly in terms of player losses, games that, you know, we we should have got points out of, but haven't because we kind of haven't pl- played it very well. Mm. And th- those, all of those small things, if you add them up, could be a decent handful of points. Mm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, not, yeah. Hundred percent. We we've we've thrown games away this season by by being ill disciplined, and I think we need to be a little bit careful going forward. Uh, I I love our aggressive side, uh, and it's been a really nice change to see that. But sure. I think we just need to find a bit more of a balance and, and get that right going forward. Um, let's have a quick look at the updated table after after this game. Um, it's a real shame uh, that we didn't pick up three points here because if we did, we'd be right in amongst it. Um, we can see we're, we're down on 39 points in 10th. We've been leapfrogged by Villa now who are on 41 points. They have a minus two goal advantage, uh, goal differential though, sorry. Um, Brighton and Brentford both sitting on 43 points. They drew their game three all, bit of a thriller there. And Liverpool on 42 points. They got absolutely dominated by Man City on the weekend. Um, if Fulham had one, we'd be on 42 points. We'd be sitting in ninth, level on points to Liverpool, although behind them on goal difference, uh, and just the one point behind Brighton and Brentford. So we'd, we'd basically be still in the fight for that sixth place. Unfortunately, it feels like we're just dropping off a little bit. We, we do only sit four points behind those teams, but um, Liverpool have a game in hand over us. Brighton still have two games in hand over us. Um, it, it feels like this was a little bit of a missed opportunity uh, the other thing to consider is we've got um, Chelsea sitting just below us at the moment. Uh, I think they're only a couple of points below us or maybe just one point behind us. Uh, yeah, currently sitting on 38 points, same games played. Uh, and then if we look down the table a little further, we see Crystal Palace on 30 points. They've played a game more than us. Wolverhampton Wanderers on 28 points. They've played a game more than us as well. So we do have a little bit of a gap, but really over Crystal Palace, we're only three wins ahead of them. Um, we've nine games to play in the season or 10 games for us to play in the season. Um, you know, we, we could only be looking at three or four more wins for the whole season from here. Um, if, if Palace, Wolves, West Ham have good runs from here, uh, it could get a little bit close. And, you know, I don't think 39 points is going to be uh, a total to go down on, but the teams in the relegation zone at the moment on 26 are only... 13 points behind us with 10 games to play. It's definitely not out of the question that we get pulled a little further down into that mid-table unless results turn around fairly soon. And um, I think we need to be a little bit wary, and we we probably are starting to look over our shoulders a little bit going four games in a row that we've lost. We we do need to start picking up wins. Well, I, I hope that sense of urgency actually does creep into the dressing room and maybe we can start doing what other teams uh, are, you know, going to try and do to us because we mm. have to get ourselves out of this funk, as you say. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I guess a little bit of news worth worth um, talking about is uh, Graham Potter lost his job as the Chelsea manager. Dad, your, your thoughts on that? He's um, had a pretty rough ride, I think. They only scored 21 goals in his 21 games in charge and conceded the same number as well. Uh, look, to me, it's just a, a bit of a West London joke, to be honest. It's been going on for a while. 
no no one could blame Graham Potter for taking the job, but it was never going to be an easy gig. And whilst he um, he's, he's he's somewhat got some egg on his face, and I'm sure his pride has been hurt, um, I have no doubt that that'll all be resolved after a nice six star holiday somewhere. And um, you know he could retire and never be involved in football ever again, and be an an exotically wealthy man. Yeah, well, a, a wonderful thing I saw tweeted out earlier today was that uh, the the Potter experiment at Chelsea cost them twenty million to acquire him from Brighton in the first place, uh, and uh, I believe they've had to pay out his six year contract that, or five year contract that he signed, which equates to roughly Madness. sixty million. Um, so we're looking at a full eighty million that Chelsea are out of pocket for. Um, currently sitting in eleventh in the Premier League, managerless with ten games Todd, in the season. Todd's got to more go. money than sense. He really he has got more. Absolutely. Money than and look, there's a, there's a couple of little rumours floating around that Marco Silva's been flagged as a potential candidate for the role. Um, but quite interesting. Uh, I'll read out. Fulham tweeted early this morning uh, the message from Marco. Uh, as always, we are here to improve the players, to make the club better, and to prepare not just for the next game, but for the future of the club as well. Uh, a, a little bit of a cryptic quote there, I think. Um, a lot of people on Twitter saying that there's contract extension incoming, and look, we cross our fingers that that is the case. I think we'd like to see Silver tied down to a longer contract. Um, it's definitely something that the club need in terms of stability. I would hate to see us lose Silver at this point in our sort of development cycle. It feels like we're, we're on a bit of a run here where if we buy smart in the summer and Silver has proved that he can buy smart, um, we could be looking at, you know, potentially building something really special with this Fulham squad uh, that we haven't seen for 10, 15 years. Um, so I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this goes and um, be interesting to cover it over the next couple of weeks and see what happens, um, especially with uh, Silver potentially out of the dugout for a little bit now as well. Uh, also, we saw Leicester sack Brendan Rodgers as well. I think both of those uh, those sackings happened within oh, within hours of each other yesterday. So uh, a bit of news from around the league. And um, I think I saw that 14 teams in the Premier League this season have sacked their managers or, or had a change in manager. That includes, obviously, Brighton lost Potter earlier this season. So um, it's not... 100% accurate, I guess, but um, it's great to see that Fulham are not one of those uh, it's to show a little bit of stability, uh, which I think is is really important when you're in the Premier League because things can get thrown up in the air very quickly and it can all turn sour very quickly as well. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of news from around the league. And obviously we're still waiting on Mitro's hearing, which is apparently happening kind of as we speak, as we're recording right now. Um, Dad, just before we we do sort of finish up, what are you thinking in terms of a Mitro ban here? Let's just throw a number out. We, we've heard a lot talked about um, in the Twitter sphere and and from pundits and ex referees and all sorts. Um, what 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 do you think is realistically going to happen here? We heard Fulham have asked for an in person uh, consultation, effectively, and we we've heard that the legal team that Fulham have put together a very very big case and basically look back over the last 20 years of instances of players handling referees and getting nothing for it, um, managers doing the same thing. I don't know if you saw, but Kavanagh officiated a game on the weekend. I think it was 
Forest Wolves and, and made a couple of absolutely terrible decisions. But we saw the Forest players putting their hands on Kavanagh multiple times and didn't get anything for it. Um, so, And I believe Fulham have actually added that to their defence. Um, so what are you thinking? How do you think this is going to pan out? Do you think Fulham have put together or are Fulham are likely to put together a, a good enough case or do you think no matter what we're getting the book thrown at us? Well, as I, as I commented before, Jack, I get paid the big bucks hmm. to analyse these things uh, empirically, right? And I don't think anyone can. It's it, it, this is this is a, we're in a very weird space here where if you know if if this was down to sentencing and this was a judiciary and the, and it was not a kangaroo court and there was fairness and precedent then it would be relatively easy to to sort of compare apples to apples or or at least flavors of apple and you'd look at the various uh transgressions and 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 look at the punishments that have been handed out perhaps over the years you go back as far as you like or like you know let's be honest and say recent years or sensible and say recent years and you should be able to come up there or thereabouts, with a pretty reasonable guess for what Mitro is going to get, because that would be an unemotional, um, analytical way of looking at it on the basis of fairness mm. and precedent. Well, we're not in that territory. We're not in that theatre of operation at the moment. We've yeah. got, we've got hysteria and 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 a little little bit of. Uh, I'm not, it's not nastiness. It's it's shithousery from a lot of segments of the footballing world, whether they be other teams or perhaps just um, you know, punters who've got it in for Fulham or for in for Metro. Um, I can understand the referees having beef with the way that overall that they are treated and the referee association wanting to come out and have the book thrown, but they lost credibility in their suggestion yeah, mm. by, by you know, by trying to be so severe with no connection to reality or, or, or reasonableness, they lost their opportunity to actually be listened to. Yeah. Um, but but I, I, think, I think the FA have got a bit of a job on their hands here. Now, they may actually just stick their chin out and go, don't care, uh, we're under pressure to actually show that we do take this seriously and we must act and we don't care about any recent um, incidents, which I think would be outrageous if they do. And I think that's that's where Fulham's defence is coming from. Is that... It's going to be outrageous if they go, don't, don't care about whatever happened. It's got nothing to do with it. We're, we're talking about Metro. We're talking about what he did. It's not acceptable. It has to be punished. It has to stop. Because what, what they are saying is that we're okay about being inconsistent. And that's never going yeah. to be okay. And I do wonder if, you know, Fulham, Fulham are obviously going to bring up those points and say, um, you have to be consistent. And if you're going to ban Mitro, I wonder if they're going to then be saying, if you're going to ban Mitro, then you have to ban every other player who's done something similar this season. 
So Fernandez for putting his hand on an assistant, the Forest players on the weekend for putting their hand on the ref, and then asking why the referee isn't giving the same punishments, but for some reason Mitro is getting picked up and getting the punishments um, that that the other players aren't. And, and look, it's, it's going to be a really interesting case, and I'd, unfortunately they're not going to release all the details of what was said. Um, I, I would love to read the case that Fulham are putting together because... I just think it'd be incredibly interesting to see how we we pose the argument and um I and think we pose but, a perfectly good argument ourselves, Jack. It can't be any different. Yeah, you know. um, for sure. I, I I just think it's going to be going to be really interesting to see how it goes. And like you said, the FA is sort of backed into a corner here, where um I I can't see how they can't throw the book at us. Um, but if they do throw the book at us, then they have to throw the book at everyone else who does something similar. And you know, well, they, but they won't. But they won't. And they and they sort of. Course. I can see. I can see how they can't. But that's going to be outrageous because if they throw the book at us, then they're they're leaving themselves wide open to all kinds of claims. But I think that will be part defense. of our defence is to say if you're going to throw the book at us, you have to then pick up these 18 other incidents that happened through the season and retrospectively ban those players for the same period of time. And I well, don't that... think that's going to happen because it's going to piss off too many other clubs. And I, I think that might be how Fulham are, are approaching this and, and looking at it as a way out. Uh, it's interesting here, uh, just a comment from one of our live followers, Black, White and Fred, find it crazy that anyone would put hands on a ref so recently after the Metro incident. And as yeah, I said right. in the Forest game, it's on the same referee as well. It's on Chris Kavanagh, and they've put but their the, hands but on the, what's him. What's terrible is, is it's got a different outcome. That's the thing. The problem is there's there's four or five Forest players around him who are, you know, one or two of them are putting their hands on him, and he doesn't do anything. And so that's where you just go, where's the consistency, and why is Mitro getting picked up for it and other players aren't? And I think that's where the the defence lies. And you say, if you're going to throw the book at Mitro, you have to throw it at everyone else. The FA won't want to do that and therefore are more likely to be a little more lenient on Mitro. They're still going to have to give him additional bans. I don't think he's going to get away with three games. So I'm expecting four or five games. And look, I, I really hope that we get an answer very soon because I think as a fan base, we're kind of over-talking about it now. We want to focus on... Fulham and we want to focus on you know the games we play on the weekends and how we prepare for those and what we do to win those games and um, we, we're focusing so much on off-field stuff at the moment which hasn't been a distraction for the whole season but it is a distraction now and I think we're starting to see that affect us on field as well which is slightly worrying so I, I think we're all ready to draw a line under it both the playing staff the coaching staff the fans the followers the supporters it's time to put this one to bed, and I'm really looking forward to um, to it coming out. And you know, we we will probably cover it when we pod again on uh, on Wednesday, Thursday this week, um, because it, it will be big news. Um, but we'll also be previewing the upcoming game as well. So, um, look, Dad, I think we've covered a, a pretty rough game for us. I mean, not a rough game, but a disappointing game where um, we expected to get more from it. Uh, but we just didn't, and we're really hoping we bounce back. Our, our next game coming up is against West Ham, who looked very poor on the weekend. They they got over 
the Southampton team uh, 1-0, but, you know, Southampton also incredibly poor. We had a rough game against them first time around where we lost 3-1 to a couple of terrible Chris Kavanagh decisions once again. (laughs) Let's hope that this game doesn't mirror that first one because uh, it's a really big opportunity for us to, to get some wins on the board. We've got West Ham, Everton, Leeds and Aston Villa over the next four weeks. Um, we should really be looking from those games at, you know, nine to 12 points realistically. Um, and anything less than that, I think will be disappointing and we'll start to reflect on where we currently stand at the moment um, in terms of our mental head- headspace and how everything has affected us at this point in the season. So I'm really hoping we see a positive reaction at Craven Cottage. Fortunately, it's a home game next Saturday. So really looking forward to previewing that one later in this week. Um, So look, Dad, I think we can wrap it up there and say we've covered this one to death. Um, Looking forward to talking to you later in this week. Thank you for joining me tonight. Yeah, thank you. Um, Let's hope the the FA in handing down their decision don't uh, also invite Chris Kavanagh to actually officiate again uh, on the weekend for us. Fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> uh, Surely not. Great stuff on Twitter, though, from so many people around. It's some, seeing some really funny stuff at the moment. Um, trying to find the brighter side in in everything that's happening. Um, so, yeah, look, let's let's cross our fingers that everything goes as well as we could possibly hope. Um, and, yeah, look forward to the upcoming games and hopefully some Fulham wins in our future because it's been a while since we've had one. be nice to talk about a win again. That was a lot of fun earlier this season. So, look, let's wrap it up there. And as always, until next time, come on, you whites. <laughs>